Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton. I'm Ray Daniels, Seed Sustainability Manager uh, and Manager of the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program here at BASF and host of today's program. I'm also joined today by Gertie Textile Organization partner, Bob Anishak. Bob, how are you doing today? Ray, it's good to see you again, or actually hear you again on the podcast. So I'm doing great today. It's a nice day here in the Nashville. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. It's a nice day here in the South too. I'm here in Georgia and I know North Carolina, we all have some really beautiful spring weather going on. And it's with that, with that sentiment, I'm, I'm happy to kick off our first podcast of 2023. We, we've had a little bit of a break, but we're to getting back at it this year, just like our, all of our producers out in the field. And I'm going to kick us off with today's guest, which is a leading cotton farmer in Louisiana, Marshall Hardwick, of the Hardwick Planting Company. Marshall, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing good, Ray. I appreciate the opportunity to, to join you on the podcast. And Bob, it's great to talk to you, with you again. So I'm looking forward to this. Great. Well, thank you. We're looking forward to having you here. I figured we needed to start 2023 off with a bang and nobody better to do that than with you, Marshall. So thank you for joining us. Well, you know, listen, let's, I just mentioned, I mentioned nice weather, but like, let's, let's, before we get into this year, let's talk a little bit about all the challenges that we've had, you know, from weather and markets last year. What I'd like to ask you, what is your, how was your crop last season and what's your outlook? 2022 was a pretty challenging year. We started off very hot and dry in July, June and July. So we were having a lot of irrigation going on, really just busting our tails to, to get water onto our crops where we could. So we battled that for about two months. And then in August, we got about 20 rainy or cloudy days in a row and, you know, upwards of 20 to 30 inches in some places. And that was devastating. So our soybeans were, were maturing out, almost ready to harvest, if not ready. Some harvest aid had been applied and anybody in our area that had planted had already defoliated. And so it was exposed to a lot of rain and just terrible, ugly weather. So we lost a lot of cotton with bull rot, just the lamp falling on the ground. Us, on, we're on our farm, we were actually fairly fortunate when, you, when I planted and we didn't have quite as much yield loss or bull rot. So we had a actually pretty good year considering all the obstacles we had to jump over. Some of our, our friends and neighbors in our parish are, are, were not so fortunate. So, you know, it, it was a tough year for everyone. Marshall, as a, as a follow-up, I remember the, it was a hard year, I think, in a lot of Certainly a lot of folks down your way. I mean, did you change anything with your goals? Was there a preset plan or was there, did you change anything? Um, no, not really. And, and you know, our, our sustainability goals, so to speak, they're not kind of, you know, we didn't come up with them because, you know, they would be appealing to brands and retailers or, or customers, you know, these, these things that we, that we're calling sustainability are just now kind of getting the title, but like cover crops, my, my dad started doing cover crops in the, in the eighties. And that was really just a way to figure out how to do less. So we were trying to figure out, you know, if I fill up all this ground, I've got loose dirt you know, rainfall comes, um, well, I'm starting to lose a lot of soil. So how can I stop losing so much soil? Well, he figured, well, if I'll stop tillage, that's one way. And then if you put cover crops on top of it, there's another, you know, a hand in glove working together, but you know, nothing's going to change based upon weather or market for us. We see the value and, and these, these items that are being sustainable. That's reduced tillage. We only spray herbicides. 
or pesticides when we reach an economic threshold and cover crops and, and just reducing our, our imprint on the environment that we're surrounded by. So you've been doing this kind of, you've been doing those kinds of practices for quite some time, isn't that right? Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's right. It started with our, our, my dad, as I said. My dad comes from a education and art background. He met my mom while he was teaching school at SMU in, in Dallas. And so he had, knew nothing of farming. My, my mom's family is who owns the farm. So when dad came back to farm, or when my dad came to farm, he didn't know what, he didn't have a father or grandfather to, to do, to repeat the same steps, whether they were good or bad for the, the environment and the soil. But he reached, he looked out to Mississippi state because we're on the Mississippi border and we're kind of similar to the Mississippi Delta, but the land grant universities became a, you know, just his library of where he could find information. And that's kind of where he started to learn about manly cover crops and reduced tillage and. And what that was kind of doing for his, what that would do for his farm. Well, I, mean, I appreciate that, Marshall. It sounds, I mean, with your background and with your, even with your parents, I mean, it takes a bit looking at it a little bit differently. I mean, I mean, I like that the approach that you, you and your, you all have taken, but I got a question. How do you, how do you see this continuing to play a central role for other cotton growers? And you know, do you feel like the, you feel this approach to sustainable practices will, will change over time? What's your thoughts there? Well, I guess if, if the definition of sustainable changes and it, you could ask the you know, of sustainable and I guarantee you they'd all be different. So what is sustainability? I mean, some people, <laughs> some people keep it brief. Some people go into great details. So it's kind of hard to say, you know, exactly how these things will change, but I can tell you in, in Northeast Louisiana, thinking less is more. If I do less tillage, as I said, burning less diesel. You're spending less man hours on that field and, and you're keeping your soul in the, in the, in the field where it should be. I mean, they want to pass on their farming operation to the next generation. You know, I don't have any children. My brother does, but I know even me as an uncle, I would love to see right now, you know, that generation take over after my brother and I are done, or if I have sons or daughters that, that might want to do. So that's the ultimate goal is to pass on the land in better shape than, than it was given to us. And that's not a knock on the older generation, but it's, it's an, uh, a pray, approval and acceptance that technology is changing and it's making us smarter farmers and adapting to those new changes and new information is, is valuable, at least to me and understanding what we're doing and why we're doing it is extremely important. And, it, and I see that in our area and I think neighbors down the road see that, but as long as we're making gradual improvements to what technology and science is showing that to be the better ways of farming, I think is a very positive way for our industry to go forward. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, speaking about practices there, we hear a lot about the viewpoints, the topic of regenerative cotton. I think when it comes to brands, we hear today, even in the past six months, we're hearing more and more about brands looking at the practices that go into producing cotton on the farm, you know, and the development of cotton. And, you know, when it comes to that topic of regenerative, how, how do you think cotton producers should approach that? I mean, well, that's a good question. My brother and I are kind of, you know, we took a step back several years ago and 
you know, we just realized that the volatility of the weather and the market just makes it extremely difficult and agonizing for, for farmers. You know, I, I'm 35. I've been farming for almost 10 years and I don't know how my dad has done it for 40 plus years. I mean, the, the, the stress it can put on you. How can we make our cotton specifically talking, talking about cotton right now is how can we make it more attractive to our buyers and not just sell among the masses and you know, organic has a really good structure of, of explaining that they're valuable. So people who grow organic cotton are getting a premium because people are willing to pay for that premium. And so Mead and I started to figure out, well, we need to figure a way to brand our cotton in some sort of way. And that was through certifications. And, you know, E3 is a excellent way of getting a certification. U.S. Trust Protocol is another certification. And then last spring, we got certified as Regen Agri. And so we have three certifications for, for the cotton that we grow. And we just felt like the more we can separate ourselves and, and, and show our, our buyers that we're producing it in a sustainable, regenerative way. But, you know, for that to happen, there's got to be a demand for it. And so we started attending as many conferences that we could. And so we wanted to go know what they wanted, what retailers were looking for. And, and you know, that regenerative seemed to be the, the way that they thought was the most authentic way to prove our regenerative practice. I guess that kind of leads into a question, Marshall, what kind of innovations are you seeing? for the coming years that are really kind of cool to you, you uh, elaborate? Well, you know, the, the, the major buying market, I would say of 20 to 40, maybe 50 year olds, you know, they really care my generation or even younger, they really care about where their food and fibers are coming from. And was it raised in a sustainable way? Are you treating the land that lives on your land? I mean, the animals that live on your land, fair, the keeping your waters clean, your microorganisms in the soil, are they thriving or are they just dying in the desert? So this was important to them and being able to capture that is, is important now to the farmer. And so we've, we've adopted heavily into technology to try to trace that information, to, to store that information on farm and make it relatively easy to share with say, a brand and retailer who says, Hey, you know, I bought this this cotton from your field, I want to know what, what happened. And we have the capability to, to do that through our, through our record keeping. And the certifications that we have, they certainly are, are gathering information for the brands and retailers to make it available for them. So those are the kind of technologies that I know of. I'm sure there's, there's some more out there that I'm not aware of, whether it's certifications or, or on the brands and retailers, or even the spinning bill side on. I'm sure they're, they're developing different ways to track all that to make it flow easier, be more transparent and, and more satisfying to the buyer. All right, so coming back to the top of the brands there, I got two questions. One to start off with is what, what sort of thing do you think brands can do to help farmers about building these back? Obviously, you guys have done a phenomenal job of it, not just putting in place with the flaws of the certification. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's about you know, what, getting more value, like you mentioned earlier, for your cotton. So what, what sort of things can these brands do to help other farmers, your fears, and others adopt more regen and sustainable practice? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the, the the baseline or the foundation of regenerative is trying to use more organic type fertilizers or, or say pesticides or whether that's fertilizer and, and chemicals. We're, we're having chicken litter delivered to us throughout the year. This year, we had a hard time finding it this past fall, so they, they said it'd be available um, starting in January, but we typically put it out in the fall months, but we're starting to stack chicken litter on the morning. But these things come at a cost, whether that's more valuable fertilizer and chicken litter that's going out or earlier of pesticides going higher so you can maybe skip an application of synthetic pesticides. That's that ultimately they're all increasing our inputs or increasing our expense. So to answer your question, to probably help tame these goals and change the practices of payment to the farmer from the brands and retailers is, is an excellent way to help reduce the cost and the risk of taking on this challenge. And, you know, I, I know nothing about garment or clothing and gene structure, but I would think, you know, it's just raising the price of a, of a pair of jeans, maybe $5 could potentially help a brand of fun this premium that's going to farmers to help change these, their practices, become more regenerative and the consumer, you and I, who are buying a pair of jeans for are helping change these practices for the betterment of, of society and, and reducing the synthetic products that are going out on onto farms. Keeping that reduction continuous is a benefit for any kind of greenhouse gases that, you know, that we, we all hear about. And so it's an excellent way to help the farmer reduce their, their risk for these obstacles that they're, they're, they'll have to climb over. Yeah. Well, speaking about, you know, the brands and the, and the work they can do. I mean, I, I hear there's, there seems to be more of time where brands are spending time with farmers to kind of understand cotton. I think you, you and I talked about that when we were together in, in Colorado last fall. So are there any examples of brands that have an interest in your cotton that you could share with us? Well, I would love to, I, I, I've learned a lot, um, and I've learned a lot of being a lawyer, which is scary. I've learned that lunch tax, well, we, we had to get attorneys involved just to, just to keep the business respective between both parties. And, and I'm not exactly sure what I should or should not say in Burby ex exposing, but I, I, we're kind of leaning on the brands and retailers to kind of publicize this and whether or not they want to use our name as is fine by us, but you know, I, at this time, I'd rather maybe not say it at this point. That's okay. I thank you for that. I don't want to get you in trouble, man. But I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I do appreciate that though. And I think it's an opportunity for, to, you know, show some, some others that there's a chance out there for, that there is an interest. I think that's a great, uh, I appreciate well, that. Yeah. And I, and I know, you know, as, as you said, we, when we talked in Colorado, there, there are some brands that are trying to kind of create a group together to maybe, you know, you know, for example, let's say five like-minded brands get together and they want to buy, I don't, I don't know, let's say 10,000 bales. Well, they, they create a huge market at that point. And if they say we're willing to pay a premium and, you know, we're, we're looking a fool not to just at least look into that and see what. See, what do they want? What are their requirements? Can I make those requirements? I mean, can I capture some of that premium? So I don't have to stress out so much that cotton is 83 cents today and a year. Volatility is stressful. And, but when, when you got the brands and retailers that are pushing this and talking about joining together and buying 
several, you know, thousands of bills, it, it'll make a lot of movement and, and farming practices in my opinion. That's really cool, Marshall. So you think that partnering with downstream companies is like a really interesting strategy going forward? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've talked to a few mill owners and, and asked them if they'd be interested in, you know, essentially ask them if they're interested in region agri. And we've had both answers. Some says they're very interested in it, and some said they were not. And the key factor was whether or not they had a customer or a brand or retailer that was looking for it. So, so this whole promotion of the regenerative cotton is going to come from brands and retailers, and, and they're ultimately going to make their wants and demands based upon their customers, which over the last several years, maybe even farther, more transparency, more regenerative practices in terms of their food and fiber. So it, it's going to come down to the brands requesting it from their mills who will ultimately, you know, be spinning the yarn for the brands and retailers. I think that is really cool. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of momentum, like you said, Marshall, that's really exciting to hear that coming from your side, you know, where there is momentum for this, this reject deep down the road. And I think it is coming, but you know, it's the question we always have for ourselves here at BASF and others is how do we help our how do we help our, our cotton producers prepare for that or move towards that? So thank you for sharing all your insights and your thoughts. And you've really given, yeah, I think hopefully our listeners a lot to think about here today going forward. So I want to thank you for joining us, Marshall. I know you're busy. I tell you're busy on the farm there. So I tell you, you know, ready for planning. So I appreciate you taking time out to join us. Also, Bob, thank you for joining as well. Pleasure to be side by side with you. Marshall, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you if they have any questions about what you talked about today or, or any interest in what you're doing? Sure, sure. Well, thank you, Ray and Bob, both for having me. It's an exciting time, especially with cotton. Hopefully, we get to a point that grains will be just as exciting for as cotton is today. Best way to get to me, we, we have an Instagram page that we're trying to keep updated. It's Hardwick Planning Co. CO, all, all one word. You can email me at marshall at hardwickplanting.com. I'll be happy to, to discuss anything with, with any of your listeners. So again, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to y'all, um, tell our story a little bit, and I'll encourage any other farmers to, to tell their stories if they get, are given the opportunity. Great. Well, thank you, Marshall, for that. And thank you, Bob, again today. Finally, I'd like to thank our listeners today for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's show and everything about it. We'll be back here in a few more weeks with another one podcast for you. I encourage you to check that out. So should you have any questions about the E3 Cotton Program or anything you heard here today, feel free to email, email me at e3cotton at easf.com. Also, just like Marshall has his Instagram page, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mystery Sustainable Cotton. And thank you for joining once again. We'll see you next time.